Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. episode, I connected with an incredible artist and educator who is working to promote artists and share resources for art educators. Victoria Fry is the founder of Visionary Art Collective, an amazing platform for contemporary art. She has taught in a variety of settings, including as a teaching artist traveling between many schools and as a classroom teacher working art into all subjects. It felt empowering to hear how Victoria has shifted her mindset and approach to teaching. It's helpful to hear about others making those changes. It's so important for us as educators to continue to re-evaluate what we think we know and to adjust our methods and curricula as we learn to do better. Whether you're just starting teaching or you've been teaching for decades or somewhere in between, you can always improve. It is never too late to shift towards more inclusive and intentionally anti-biased, anti-racist methods and curricula. Victoria is a New York-based painter, educator, and founder of Visionary Art Collective. She was born in England and lived in Singapore as a child before moving to the United States. Victoria received her BFA from the School of Visual Arts in 2012 with a concentration in painting. After graduation, she was selected to be part of the Guggenheim Museum's Learning Through Art program, where she taught elementary students within the museum, as well as at PS9 in Brooklyn, New York. In 2014, Victoria received her Master's of Arts in Teaching degree from Maine College of Art. Victoria has taught in San Francisco, Oakland, and Los Angeles. She returned to New York in 2019 to continue her career as a painter and educator. Victoria has exhibited her work in Manhattan, Brooklyn, New Jersey, and California. When she's not in the classroom, she can be found creating beeswax and oil paintings in her studio. I am here with Victoria Fry. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I am so excited to hear about your sort of journey and what you're working on now. You have some really exciting projects in the works and just starting up. But I want to start with the background. So if you could maybe talk about how you became an artist and a teacher and did one come first? Sure, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to chat with you. So my journey as an artist, like many artists, I grew up drawing and painting and I was always kind of in my own world. I was actually born in England and I lived in Singapore for a bit as a child before moving. Yeah, but I moved to the United States at the age of eight. So I'd had some experiences living abroad. And I do think that those experiences really impacted my art making and just being around you know, such diverse cultures at such a young age. But once I moved to New York with my family, I just remember being so kind of like an awe of the greenery and the forests. And it was a Mm -hmm. landscape I had really never seen before. And I felt that that really influenced my art making because I started painting a lot of landscapes and I was always outside. Mm -hmm. So I knew through school that I wanted to go to an art school for college And I ended up going to the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. Oh, nice. Which, yeah, it was an incredible experience. It was a lot of experimentation and just really trying to find my voice, which I really, I feel that I've I've started to find my voice in my junior year and the beginning of my senior year. So definitely the first few years were like, just exploring and trying out so Mm -hmm. many different approaches and materials. Because even though I had done a lot of landscape growing up, I was actually very drawn to portraiture as well. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of trying to figure out how to like fuse the two together or if I wanted to focus more on one than the other. But around the time that I was in my junior year of college, I I thought that I wanted to work in the art galleries in Chelsea. That was like what I had planned to do. And so I got an internship at one of the really big galleries there. And I was there for 
maybe six months. And I realized that it just wasn't for me. It was an incredible experience getting to meet the artists and be part of the shows and opening night. Like it was truly incredible for a young artist. I mean, it was amazing. But I felt that I was just missing. I mean, it sounds cliche, but I felt that I was missing that sense of purpose. Mm. So I started, I was actually, I started to become interested in art therapy and teaching art and just working with kids. So I started volunteering at the Hudson Guild, which is a community center for at-risk youth in Chelsea. Mm -hmm. And I was just teaching art classes there as a volunteer, you know, in between classes or after class. And I would do that maybe three or four days a week. And I ended up loving it so much that I decided I wanted to pursue a career in art education. So after that, I ended up, I was at the Guggenheim for a bit for their learning through art program, working with kids in the museum. And they also assigned me to a school in Brooklyn, PS9, to work with kids there. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I, I went on to get my master's in teaching. And then I just, teaching became full-time for me. So yeah, that's kind of <laughs> the journey. Yeah. Amazing. And then you've taught in a variety of places as well. Could you talk a little bit about your teaching experience? Yeah, absolutely. So when I went to Maine to get my master's in teaching, I went to Maine College of Art. And I thought that I was going to move back to New York and teach after, but I ended up actually moving out to California, mm-hmm. kind of on a wing and a prayer, <laughs> just <laughs> hoping that things would work out. And, you know, I moved out to Oakland. And so my first year there, I worked for San Francisco Arts Education Project, which was really amazing. They assigned me to, I think I was at five different uh, public schools around the Bay Area. So Mm -hmm. I was in San Francisco and I was across the Bay in Oakland. And I was teaching, I would go in to each school for a few hours each day. And I would just, you know, work with the head teachers to design interdisciplinary art lessons, but also to teach Mm -hmm. the kids about different art. I did that for a year. And then I actually transitioned into classroom teaching for a few years. So it was kind of unexpected, but I was doing San Francisco Arts Education Project while also teaching after school art classes. So I was kind of hodgepodging a schedule together. Yeah. (laughs) So many teaching (laughs) artists can relate. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, the great thing about it is that it was my first year out of grad school. So I was getting so Mm -hmm. much experience, but I was starting to burn out a bit because in one single day, I would be at like three different schools. (laughs) And they were some of them were really far apart. So it was a lot of commuting. And basically what happened was I had applied to a school in Oakland that happened to be like right by my my apartment at the time. And I had applied, I think, just as a substitute. And the principal ended up inviting me to teach there as a classroom teacher. But he was so amazing. And he was basically like, you know, you'll be teaching fifth grade, but I will give you as much flexibility as you want in terms of like integrating art into your curriculum, you know, doing art with the kids. And actually that year was amazing. I I learned that I really love teaching all subjects. And I actually became really passionate about project-based learning and realized that I could do so much creative work with the kids that connected to what they were learning in math and social studies. And so I kind of, I I actually really ended up loving it. And then I taught, I moved to LA and taught third grade and second grade at a private school there. And then I think after about, so I taught for, I worked as a classroom teacher for four years. And then last year I kind of made the decision that I wanted to transition back into teaching art Mm -hmm. because I think I want, I don't know. I I mean, that's what I had really studied. That's what my original plan was. And even though I learned to love classroom teaching and found that I could do so much art with the kids, I just kind of wanted to focus on one subject area. Yeah. Because it is a lot, you know, I have so much respect Mm -hmm. for classroom teachers. You're teaching math, reading, writing, social studies, social emotional learning. Like it is, it is a lot. So I loved it, but I was ready to just focus more on, you know, just teaching art. And I, so I moved back to the East coast where I am now and now I'm yeah just teaching art which I love. Awesome, amazing. Yeah. Do you have like a favorite grade level? Have you mostly been at the elementary level? Yeah, I've mostly been at the elementary level, but every summer I teach. So even when I was living in California, I would fly back to New York every summer and I teach at an art center uh. near my parents' house and and I usually teach for about a month, sometimes more, sometimes a little bit less, but I'm when I'm at the art center, I'm working with children of all ages like from 4 to 7 
17. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So the summers are great because I really have experience to work with middle schoolers and high schoolers. But I would Mm -hmm. say I love elementary, but I'm really starting to enjoy middle school. Yeah. And there's things about high school I love too. I love being able to really delve deep with the high schoolers. And so it, yeah, it kind of depends. There's things I love about every grade. It's so hard to choose. (laughs) I know. Yeah. And it's, I find it really nice to have like a bit of a variety. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to teach across those grade levels. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the thing I love about the really young kids is their enthusiasm and their energy. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just so excited. <laughs> yes. And I love that. So, it, yeah, every grade has, you know, its pros for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And what would you say is your sort of teaching style? You know, I really aim to be a balance of warm. I'm very, very warm, I would say. Mm -hmm. But I also hold, you know, I have high standards and I hold, you know, expectations for all my students. I really try to bring out the best in them in terms of their, you know, technical skills, but also just their creativity and everything. So, I would say, you know, firm, but kind. (laughs) Yeah. I want to be that teacher that kids feel like they can come to me if they have any issue, even if it's Mm -hmm. not relating to art, that they can just, you know, I can be that support system for them. That's really my main objective. Yeah. Yeah. And building relationships. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How have you kind of handled that? Because I feel like this shift to online Mm -hmm. makes that even more difficult. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you've kind of done to help with really building relationships online? You know, I try one thing I I really try to do is during Mm -hmm. the kind of independent work time portion of an online lesson, I really try to just get to know the kids as they're working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been the classes I've been teaching since May, they kind of switch out every week. So I'll have I'll teach like a five day drawing exploration class for middle schoolers, for example, and then yeah, I'll see those kids every day for five days. But then the next week, I'll be doing, you know, a a completely different class with like kindergartners and first graders. So Uh. It really makes it's yeah, every week is completely different. But during that week that I am with those kids, I really it's so hard not being there with them in person and being able to, you know, Mm -hmm. I miss the hands on element of being able to really help them and observe their work and give them suggestions. And you can do all of that, of course, online. It it just is totally different. But I really try to ask them a lot of questions about, you know, their interests, their hobbies. And I try to just get to know them as, you know, as people. And Mm -hmm. I I don't know, I think I really yeah, that's one thing. I try to do more of even online because it's so hard to build those connections. So I just try and chat with them as much as possible. Yeah. 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 And I feel like that sort of studio time is perfect for that, for just chatting, getting to know each other. Oh, yeah. They love it, too. I mean, I remember my first few classes, I would think, oh, I should just let them work. They're so focused. But then I started to ease up and just kind of ask them, you know, what are you what, what are you doing this summer? What are you doing this weekend? What are your hobbies? And I just started to really get to know them and they love it. I mean, they love chatting about things they like to do and it's definitely a great way yeah. to build a connection. So uh, yes. Yeah. They're so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any sort of tips that you would give a new art teacher, especially with this new oh sort of yeah. <laughs> online and all the different challenges that we're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, a lot of times I think about what advice I would give to myself when I started teaching art, because Mm -hmm. I've actually realized that when I was in my early 20s, and I first started teaching out of grad school, I was teaching in a very kind of traditional way. And even though I had studied so many different artists, and my, my graduate program was amazing, I sort of reverted back to teaching the way that I had been taught growing up. Mm-hmm. And after teaching in that way for a few years, I can, my whole perception of teaching, everything just started to shift for me. And I started to become very passionate about teaching about contemporary artists and artists of color and really changing my approach and teaching in a more progressive way, even with how I was interacting with the kids. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to look back and see, you know, where I started and 
and where I'm at now. But I think especially in terms of technology, I would say just, you know, try and connect with it's it's easy to say try and connect with the kids as much as you can because it's it's different when you're actually teaching the lesson. But I I would say, you know, try and choose subject matter that you think the kids are really gonna engage with. Try and choose artists that the kids are really gonna see themselves reflected in and really create a, a curriculum that is really diverse. And I think that's one thing that I could have done more of when I was younger, but I've learned so much since then. And now I kind of center my curriculum around what I think the students are going to be interested in and what's going to engage them and, you know, making sure that all of my kids can see themselves really reflected in the in what's being taught. So I guess that's kind of advice that I would give. Definitely. Yeah, because it is easy to, even if you go through a program that teaches you like incorporating contemporary artists more, it is so easy to revert back to oh, yeah. the old, you know, old white men yeah, <laughs> that we grew it's up with. Like subconscious. And the other thing too mm-hmm. is that those resources are so available online, so accessible right. and available online that you know, if you're looking for an art lesson, there's so much centered around Monet and Van Gogh. It makes it very easy. But yeah. when you really have to dig to teach about a contemporary artist or an artist of color, it's so much harder. But that's also part of what I'm trying to do at Visionary is create. I'm actually in the process of creating these resources right now because I started to envision yeah. this year, like there should be a place online where you can find high quality lessons mm-hmm. you know, about these artists that are just maybe not as well known. But yeah, it's it's funny that teaching about, you know, that that's, I mean, I, I was kind of cringing a bit the other day because I went back to, I had like a blog when in my first year of teaching mm-hmm. and I went back to just see what lessons I was doing. And they, a lot of them were, you know, Van Gogh, Monet, Clay, and there's nothing wrong with teaching <sighs> about those artists. I love those artists, but it's just, it has to be part of a balanced curriculum. And I think my balance mm-hmm. was just a little bit off back then. So I'm really glad I've been able to kind of learn from that and shift my perspective a bit. Yeah. And do you have any artists that you really love to share with kids that have been impactful for them? Yeah, absolutely. So this year I was teaching the kids about one of my favorite painters, Alma Thomas, mm-hmm. and also Horace Pippin. He's he's amazing. His journey is amazing because I think it really shows children, you know, the strength that he had as an artist and the perseverance that he had. I mean, he lost, he served in the First World War and actually lost mm-hmm. mobility in one of his arms. But he oh. he would even sketch like while he was in the trenches. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, and he uh, I know it's so it's so inspirational and he actually he ended up regaining mobility I think of his of his arm but uh, and he went on to you know become a really prolific artist and painter and became recognized and well known but I I love that story because it yeah as I said it really teaches kids perseverance but I also love teaching kids about Alma Thomas because she was an art teacher for many years and I don't think mm-hmm. she had her first solo show until she was 80 years old <laughs> or maybe uh, 81 so I, yeah. I love teaching them about artists who are you know have really inspirational stories because I think that just kind of deepens the experience for them yeah that's yeah. inspirational for me too yeah. <laughs> it's like there's hope <laughs> when I read about Alma Thomas I actually hadn't discovered her work until maybe a year or two ago. And I I read about her story and I was just thinking, wow, you know, she didn't get her first solo show until 81. Like there's definitely hope for me. (laughs) But I love teaching kids also about artists who are making alive and making work today. So, yeah. you know, right now I'm I'm actually looking into and designing lessons about Faith Ringgold, Alexis Diaz, uh, Michelin Thomas, Lena Iris Victor. And there are so many artists, even artists that I just follow on Instagram that I see and I think, oh my goodness, this would be such a great lesson for my fourth graders, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really trying to, you know, stay on top of which artists are out there today making work and really getting to know their work and thinking about how I could turn it into a lesson and, and teach students about it. Yeah. And then do you want to talk a little bit about what you're creating with Visionary Art Collective and maybe what you're working on now or what you you've already got going there yeah. uh, and what's kind of in the works. Yeah, absolutely. So Visionary Art Collective launched almost exactly a month ago, which I can't, it's so crazy to think. Oh, it's exciting. It's really exciting. I, you know, it was kind of born out of a longing to connect with other artists I fell into a bit of a slump this year, especially around the winter, you know, first winter back on the East Coast. (laughs) Mm, 
Yes. <laughs> Where I started to just feel a bit alone in my teaching. And I started to just, in February, just reach out to, I just started messaging artists that I followed and whose work I really admired, asking them if I could interview them. And I just wanted to connect with artists, get to know their stories. And I created a blog, which was actually called the Instart Project. Mm -hmm. And I started publishing these interviews, but I started to then, it was around this time, I was also teaching at an urban school in Stamford, Connecticut, where the majority of my students were African-American. And I realized that the curriculum I had been teaching for a while, it wasn't, it didn't make sense to teach at this school. Mm -hmm. So around the time that I was starting this blog, I was also really shifting the way that I was teaching. I started to teach about, you know, a, a lot more um, artists of color. I started to teach about artists around the world, which I had done in previous years, just not as much. This It really became my focus this year because I wanted my kids to really see themselves reflected and to be able to connect with the artists that I was teaching about. So I remember I was, you know, it was kind of like these two separate things. I was interviewing artists that I followed on Instagram, but I was also thinking, I wish there was a play. I remember I wanted uh, to teach a lesson on Horace Pippin and I just couldn't find it anything online. Mm -hmm. I found one lesson that I think a mom had, uh, she had like a blog spot for kids and she had kind of pulled together a lesson about him. Other than that, I could not find any resources on this prolific artist. Yeah, And I started yeah. to feel really frustrated. I was like, how are there hundreds and thousands of you know lessons around all these masters? But there's so many incredible artists who've made work in the last hundred years or that are making work today. I just couldn't find anything. So I started to create my own lessons and, you know, make little YouTube videos for my kids when online distance learning started. And I that's so I was kind of like I was doing these interviews, but I was also simultaneously envisioning a space online for art teachers where they can find resources around artists that don't have a ton of resources. Yeah. So these two things started to come together in the spring because I started envisioning, I was like, okay, maybe I can, you know, continue my interviews, but also create a space that has different branches, artist interviews, resources for art educators, and a space that really connects contemporary art with art education. Yes. So I just remember grabbing my journal and I started sketching out, I didn't even have the name for Visionary Art Collective yet, but I started sketching out like three branches branches. And it was mm -hmm. artist interviews, resources for educators, and then online exhibits, because I thought it would also be cool to showcase the work of, you know, contemporary and, and emerging artists. Yeah. So I started just having these ideas. And then in June, I started putting together, you know, I came up with Visionary Art Collective, I started to really like create the website. And yeah, it's, so it's still very new. But what I'm trying to do is just get, connect those two things that I'm so passionate about. And I did a workshop earlier this summer on integrating contemporary art into the classroom, which was mm -hmm. so inspirational. And it really gave me a deeper insight into how I could bring contemporary art into the classroom, not just teaching about artists who are alive and making work today, but actually using contemporary art as a lens to discuss with students, you know, issues that we are facing collectively in society today as well. So, right. so yeah, it's, it's very new. But right now, what I'm kind of in the process of designing is I'm working on the lesson plans, and I'm hoping to have those uploaded to those will be ongoing. So I'm going to upload the first batch of those hopefully at the end of this month but those will continuously be uploaded to the website as well and then I came up with the idea for the Art Educators Lounge about a month or so ago, and that is going to be a space, a virtual space for art educators, really artists who are involved in teaching in any capacity. So whether you're full-time or part-time or teaching artists, but if you're an artist involved in teaching, it would be a space for us to connect and really just chat about all things related to art education and, you know, hopefully just kind of re-inspire us and exchange ideas. And because one thing I also noticed is, you know, a lot of times, especially with art teachers at schools, there's like one elementary art teacher, one <laughs> high school, you know, or middle school art teacher, kind of on your own island as a specialist. Right. So I know that that's part of, you know, why I've felt a bit lonely in the past. And I just thought what a great way for us to connect and just chat about our work and hopefully inspire each other. Yeah, I love that idea of creating a space for all of us little islands to kind of come together. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because it could be, you know, the one 
one thing I loved so much when I was a classroom teacher is that I, there was a cohort. So mm-hmm. if I was teaching third grade, there were three other third grade teachers and we would, there was this collaborative aspect. And then anytime I've taught art, I've been kind of on my own. And I think in a way I've loved that independence, but I've really missed the collaborative aspect. So hopefully this will kind of solve that and yeah. <laughs> just provide a safe space for us to chat and connect. Yeah. And then also providing those lessons around contemporary artists that are not so available, I think is a really valuable thing to be working on. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, as I mentioned, I just, I felt really frustrated that I couldn't find lessons or, you know, quality lessons. You, you really have to dig. And it got to the point where I would think, you know, instead of digging for an hour to find a lesson that's already been written, it's, it's less time and it's actually easier for me to design my own. But I want there to be resources for teachers who are in the same place. Yeah. And then especially teachers that are newer to teaching yeah, or even just that are really really busy people like we I feel like I talk often here with people who are trying to juggle full-time teaching with building an art career with sometimes parenting as well and it's just like there's no time for me I would love to create my own lessons but where and do I do it it's very time consuming I mean sometimes it can be less time than finding something online but there should be resources online for anyone who needs them or wants them them and hopefully I can provide that. I mean, it's definitely, it's going to take time to get all of the lessons up and running, but we're going to be adding them in little by little. And my goal is really in a year from now to have like a bank of (laughs) just a ton of lessons on our site. So it's something we'll keep adding continually, but yeah. 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 And would you see like inviting others to contribute to that at all in the future? It's definitely something I'm thinking about. I've actually had a few art teachers on Instagram reach out and, you know, mention that they were really interested in, in helping out and providing resources as well. So it's definitely something I'm thinking about at the moment. And yeah, for sure, something I would consider for the future. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've had on my mind as well. Like if I could just format the lessons I've already written in a way that they're shareable. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Oh my God, that's actually what's taking me (laughs) quite a bit of time right now is formatting everything. I've created a template and, but I'm going back and, you know, taking all of my lessons and redoing some of them and uh-huh. It's it's actually kind of amazing how much time it takes for <laughs> one lesson, like yeah. from start to finish. And but it is so worth it because I think once you know we create something, these lessons that are hopefully you know really helpful, mm-hmm. it's definitely going to be worth all the time. Yeah, and then kind of going back to thinking about representation and sharing contemporary artists of color, black artists, and mm-hmm. that I feel like part of my what would take me ages would be going back to those lessons I've written that had been focused like I had some really amazing I thought amazing lessons that like students responded to focused on artists like Leonardo Drew or Kehinde Wiley or you know Amy Sherald all of those big names right now yeah but where I hadn't totally contextualized the artists Mm -hmm. like I have shown a video of them talking about their work which I think is fantastic and like gives the kids a chance to see the actual artist and hear their Mm -hmm. voice but it would be kind of like here's a video okay anyway let's make some art about it like let's not talk about it yes exactly (laughs) so just adding questions or you know really like Mm -hmm. taking the time to think what what are some prompts that we can put in there to to kind of dig into the issues behind these these people's work, their lives, all of that stuff. Absolutely. I no, I think that's such a such a good point because I've done the same in the past. You know, here's a video or here's a slideshow with some facts, and then we kind of move on to the lesson. And mm-hmm. one thing um that I was when I did my contemporary art in the classroom workshop earlier this summer, one thing they talked about was introducing artists and providing context, but also talking about where that artist found inspiration. So what art movements inspired their work, what artists inspired their work, and just giving a little bit more background, because that's something I'll sometimes mention, but 
not all the time. And I love your idea of providing prompts and really, I mean, I almost think that that could be like an entire class. I know we're usually strapped for time, (laughs) but you could spend an entire class really studying that artist and Mm -hmm. delving in deep rather than, you know, usually for me, it's a 15 to 20 minute overview with a guided inquiry piece, but like could definitely go deeper with that. Yeah, I know the the big issue is always time. It's tricky. I know it's, it's a balancing act for sure. Yeah. But I do think it's important important to give that context. Yes. I, yeah, I love that. I think that is super important. And I think it's good for the kids too, to just get that deeper understanding. And, you know, I think that will impact the work that they're making. Yeah. And I like what you just mentioned before about talking about the artist's inspiration and what came before them that's influencing what yes. they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Because then you like you're almost modeling for the kids well what we're doing as well yes we're looking at this artist and being inspired and they looked at this artist who was also inspired by like you're just taking this like steps back the generations of artists absolutely and and the way I kind of when I do teach about historical artists I kind of want to frame it as you know these artists sort of paved the way Mm -hmm. but I want them to see connections between artists in the past versus artists who are making art today and there was a great example I don't remember the exact artist they used, but in the workshop, they chose an artist who is making work today. And then they were specifically inspired by an artwork that was made like, you know, 200 years ago. And they really created a lesson around that comparison. And I think getting kids to see those connections across art history Mm -hmm. is really important. Yeah. Or I've even seen like starting to see more art teachers using some of those, you know, like Van Gogh or Monet lessons, but then connecting that to a contemporary artist. Yes, I love that. I love that rather than it just being, you know, this is the focus, but yeah, drawing those connections, I think is super important. Yeah. And then that helps to create that balance within your curricula. Yeah, absolutely. The goal I'm seeing for me and for a lot of other teaching artists and art teachers is like decentering whiteness in yeah. curricula right now, which is absolutely challenging, especially for a white teacher growing up in a white society. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. It's it's really challenging. And I think this is a time where a lot of teachers are just taking a step back and looking really critically about, you know, mm-hmm. looking at their teaching and their curriculum in a new light and really thinking about how can I, what changes can I make and how can I one thing that I love doing as well, and I, I did it the first time for the first time this past school year, where I talked with kids about how art can really be used as a vehicle for change. And mm-hmm. we talked a lot about protest art and, you know, we brainstormed different issues in society. We talked about racism and women's rights and global warming. And we kind of just we had a really great conversation about these things, but then I showed them different examples of artwork and protest art where mm-hmm. these artists really used art to make a change and they created their own protest art. But I think that's really a great way as well. I think art is such a powerful tool for change. And I think you can, I mean, I was even talking with kindergarten and first graders about that and they really took to the concept. So I think you can talk about that with kids of all ages. Yeah. And we should be. Yeah, absolutely. Especially now, I think this is a great time to be having those conversations. Yeah, and it is. I mean, I also keep hearing like, it always was. Come on, guys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know exactly, right? Oh. Like, I say that and then I'm like, when was it? It, it always was. Exactly. Yeah. It's so true. But it is. It's good to see so many people kind of waking up to it. Yeah, absolutely. Me included, myself included. Yeah, me too. I mean, like I said, I I went back through my old blog from, you know, 22 years old to 23 years old. And I was just cringing because it was, it was not a diverse curriculum. And it was very, you know, like I said, Monet and Van Gogh, there were so, and Paul Clay, I think those were the three artists I focused on. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I'm so glad I don't teach that way anymore. But I just didn't realize at the time it was almost subconscious. Yeah, now I'm thinking back to my earlier curricula one thing that my the organization I work for now PS Arts mm-hmm. chooses a master work by an artist each year that's sort of there's a theme for their programs and then there's a master work that 
is for each like arts discipline for visual arts, dance, theater, all those things. Mm -hmm. That's something that we as teaching artists are supposed to incorporate somehow into our curricula. And we're really free as to how we develop lesson plans around that artist and Mm -hmm. that artwork. And then they also have kind of a list of other recommended artists. But then it's also very open in terms of what other artists we bring in and what other lessons we create. But I feel like they're the artists that they recommended have been almost entirely Black, Indigenous, Latinx, people of color. And just having that women, I guess there was a white woman recently. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, there's, I can't even remember one that was a white male. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So just having that as like, this is kind of what we're looking at mm-hmm. and not saying necessarily anything about that, right? but just putting it into our heads. Like this is, these are the artists that we're interested in yeah, teaching. Absolutely. No, I think that's so important. I love that. I mean, one thing I always think about too is will my artists, I mean, will my, well, they are artists, <laughs> will my students yeah. be able to connect with this artist? And if I, if I don't think that they will, then oftentimes I just leave it out of my curriculum mm-hmm. because I really, want them to to be, you know, engaged in the experience. And one thing that I want to do more of that I started to do a little bit of this past year was actually reach out to the artists that I was teaching about and see if we could get in touch with that artist. Sometimes it's very difficult, but there was an artist, Alexis Diaz. uh, He's a Puerto Rican street artist. And I was teaching about him, teaching my fifth graders about his work, which they just were super into. And we actually were able to write him a letter and, you know, we brainstormed questions for him. He wrote back to us. And I think that's such a Uh, cool experience for the kids and something I, I mean, I'm even thinking if I could get one of these artists or hopefully more to even come into the classroom or I really, because, you know, I actually didn't even know what contemporary art was until I was about 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking into a Chelsea gallery for the first time and just being absolutely blown away, but also thinking, how did I not know this existed? Right. (laughs) Like, I think when kids see work by diverse artists and also artists who are alive and present today, and they can engage with those artists, whether it's through a letter or in person, it just, it's such a special experience for them. So inspirational. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was talking to somebody recently about how I I don't think I saw a female artist until maybe high school. And then it was yeah. like Georgia O'Keeffe, which, you know, oh, I love yeah. her. <laughs> Same. <laughs> She's yes. amazing, but yes. it's like there are so many others. So much. That's so funny. She was. I was introduced to her in high school as well. Yeah. I think that was my first <laughs> first time, and I love her. I went to a show at a museum in San Francisco a few years back. I was just blown away. It was an amazing collection of her work. She's one of my favorite artists. But as you're saying, there's so many, and we just we need to expose our kids to these amazing women that are out there that have maybe are not alive today but have created amazing work so yes oh, it's so important Speaking of amazing women, maybe we should shift and talk a bit about your work. Sure. Oh my gosh. It's, well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a balancing act right now, but I I definitely try to balance my visionary art collective with my studio practice. And, you know, when you're teaching full-time, it's also a balancing act as well. Yeah. Like after teaching a full day, you don't always have time to come home and, you know, or the energy really to come home and paint. But it is something that I've tried to really try and make a schedule and manage my time the best that I can. Because, you know, as I said, like when I'm making art, viewing art, I I really feel the best in the classroom and the most inspired version of myself. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I, I'm trying to think. So in when I was at SVA in my senior or junior year, I started to create work using beeswax Mm -hmm. and my thesis show was actually all pretty large scale 
paintings that were composed of beeswax and oil on these really large wood panels. And I just kind of fell in love with this process. It's actually something that I'm still making the this series today. And it's kind of been almost like 10 years now in the works. Wow. I yeah. know it's crazy. But I, when I was in California, I would kind of stop and start and do a piece here and there. But since I moved back to the East Coast last year, I've, I think I've made like close to maybe 20 paintings actually. Wow. Yeah. So I've really kind of like been invested and it just started to flow once I moved back here. I'm not sure if it's I'm right now where I live is, you know, it's essentially in the woods. So I'm like really inspired. (laughs) So I don't know if that's I think that's probably part of what's just kept me going. But yeah, my work, it's very it's most of my work is pretty large scale. And I'm really inspired by the abstract expressionist movement. Mm -hmm. And I really started to fall in love with texture, which is something I was never really drawn to growing up. I was very into traditional landscape traditional portraiture and when I it it, the whole thing kind of started on accident when I was in my junior year of college I remember I was just experimenting and I melted some candle wax on a wood panel that I had and these really beautiful textures just started to form and they kind of reminded me of organic forms in nature and so I kind of took that little experiment and started buying bricks of beeswax and at the same time I was looking at the work of Gearhart Richter, who is a huge inspiration to my work. I I saw his work for the first time at the Tate when I was about 20 years old in London. And the scale, I think it's the scale of his paintings were just so... I had never seen anything like it. Another artist yeah. who inspires my work, but is, isn't necessarily the same genre is I saw Jenny Seville's work for the first time when I was 17. Yeah. I, I didn't know artists made work that big. I mean, I was like blown away. <laughs> so I knew looking at her work, looking at Richter's work, that I wanted to increase the, the scale and just really allow for a visceral experience for the viewer. Mm-hmm. So I started buying, you know, going to the hardware store and buying like six foot panels of wood nine foot panels of wood, buying beeswax in bulk, melting it down in a crock pot, which I still do today. Uh, I love it. <laughs> it's, I kind of invented my own technique. I'm not formally trained in encaustic, although I would love to do that at some point, but mm-hmm. I kind of created a system that has been working really well for me. But yeah, I melt it down in, in a crock pot and I I just kind of go into another zone. I never plan out a painting before I start. I just kind of go with it. I sort of like fling the wax across the canvas oh. or across the wood. And it's it's amazing. These beautiful, sometimes really delicate. One thing I've been working on in the past six months is seeing how intricate I can get with the texture. Because I notice the tools that I use if I'm using, you know, I use spoons of different sizes and palette knives. And it kind of depends the tool that you use to apply the wax impacts the end result. So I notice that with certain tools, I can get these really beautiful, very detailed, intricate little textures Mm -hmm. that almost look like dried leaves and you know, organic forms like bark. So yeah, I never plan it out. I just kind of go into another zone and I layer oil paint with wax and then usually another layer of oil paint. I kind of go back and forth, scraping and adding. And eventually I get to the point where I just, it's very intuitive. I feel that it's done. And I really want my, my work is kind of, I guess the underpinning of it is, you know, I'm really inspired by just moments of solitude in nature. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I'm creating work that is, you know, so large and you're kind of looking at this huge piece and you're seeing all these organic forms and textures, it's kind of bringing back that experience of just being alone in nature and hopefully, you know, triggering some kind of experience or memory for the viewer. (sighs) I'm so fortunate because since I moved back to the East Coast, I've actually, I've been living with my parents who live like in the woods and we're just surrounded by trees and forest and I converted their garage with their permission, of course. (laughs) They have this huge garage that I was able to transform into a studio. And it's amazing because as I'm making the work, I'm literally surrounded by trees. And I think that is really part of why it just started to flow out of me. But it's a series, you know, I've tried so many different things, but this series, you know, I started it in 2011 and it is something that I just 
still feel so inspired to do. I think it's the element of surprise, never really knowing how a painting is going to turn out. Yeah. But I feel, you know, sometimes it's a very labor intense. I have to kind of, it's not something I can do every day They're, because of the scale uh, and the materials. It's very labor intensive. So <laughs> it's a lot of like, you know, flinging and moving heavy pieces of wood and right. scraping. So I have to kind of, you know, I can do it a few days a week for sure. And But sometimes, you know, I can leave the studio feeling exhausted and just kind of defeated. Other times oh. I leave feeling, you know, like any artist, other times I leave feeling like so inspired and it just depends on the day. But either way, I'm really working on just you know, continuing on. And I think there's still so much left to discover with this series. So yeah, I love all the texture there and how it's very abstract. But then you also get a sense of these, I don't know, branches or grasses like blowing in the wind. And definitely that feeling of like being in nature. Thank you. Yeah, I, I name a lot of my pieces after wheat fields or kind of like the source of inspiration. I try to incorporate it into the name somehow. But I definitely want it to just remind people and I, I, I want, you know, the thing that I'm drawn to so much if I see a, a sculpture or a highly textured work of art, if I'm out in a museum or galleries, like I, that sense of just wanting to touch it. And I kind of want to <laughs> yeah. create that, you know, it's like a sensory experience. And actually, the beeswax has a really beautiful um, smell to it. So if you do get close, they actually have a really nice smell to them. So I don't know, I try to create somewhat of a sensory experience. Yeah, oh, I love that too. And I feel like that you did an exhibit exhibit you called immersion exhibit that also is such a sensory thing. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I've been working on these paintings over the last six months, I was I started to have these visions while I was working of actually having an exhibit in the woods to see if the paintings would just kind of, you know, blend in with the surroundings. And it's funny because as I was having these thoughts, I also realized that the next time I'll be able to exhibit my work, you know, in in a gallery somewhere probably won't be for a while because obviously of the pandemic. So I literally just one morning went outside and just started placing all of my paintings around in the forest, around the trees. And it was kind of amazing to see how they blended in with the landscape. And I want it. So it's kind of exploring two things. It's exploring the idea of the art kind of becoming the environment and Mm -hmm. those two things sort of bleeding into each other rather than them being separate. Yeah. But also exploring the idea of alternative spaces to Mm -hmm. exhibit work and, you know, just thinking about other ways that you can show your work. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of ongoing. Now, every time I finish a painting, I go and photograph. It. I go put it in the forest, photograph it, and I oh. do like a little video as well. So I'm going to just keep doing that. I can't wait for oh. fall because I think the fall colors are going to be oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited for that. Yes. Uh, and you have such a color story with your work as well. Thank you. I like how you're somehow <laughs> blending these kind of soft blues with the more earthy like yellows and browns yeah I'm definitely very inspired by yeah a lot of the natural colors I I love the contrast I think the elements that I try and focus on the most in my work is light color Mm -hmm. movement texture contrast and so I do a lot of I almost always start by priming my wood like a light blue Mm -hmm. And then as I start to layer on the wax, I start to add heavier colors, but then I scrape back those colors. And sometimes I'll even use a rag to remove parts of the, you know, dark brown or dark blue. So it's a lot of back and forth, but I try to create a balance of light and dark. So thank you. Thanks so much for your kind words. I appreciate that. Yes. No, it's, I love looking at them and I feel like it would be so nice to see in person. Yeah, I know. It's so it's so hard right now because we're just able to view online. But yeah. I think the video footage helps because I think in the videos you can get a sense a little bit more of, you know, I try and zoom in and mm-hmm. show the textures and things like that. But of course, there's nothing like viewing work in person and something that I think we're all missing so much right now. Yeah, but I do also love that idea of alternative spaces and bringing things outside right now. And I know... I'm blanking on the name of it. I'll have to look it up. There's an organization or gallery or collective of galleries. I'm not even sure that was organizing outdoor exhibits here in LA. Oh, wow. 
where artists were just encouraged to put up some of their artwork outside in some way. And whether that meant like a new site specific piece or just bringing a painting outside for people to see. So it's like a drive by wow. exhibit. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's, some, you know, I think that given the circumstances, I think one good thing that's coming out of it is people are really, you're kind of forced to think creatively. And yeah. like, sometimes when your back is up against the wall and you're forced to think of an alternative option, it can actually turn into something really innovative yeah. and amazing. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's exciting to see that happening in so many different ways, seeing more and more innovation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I was also going to mention, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. Yeah. An artist duo that maybe you know, Chowza, it's mm-hmm. Adam Frezza and Terry Chow. Their work is very different from yours, but they often photograph it outside. And those photographs are just amazing. Oh my gosh. Okay. I actually don't know if I'm familiar with them, but I'm going to jot that down and definitely take a look. Yeah, they make very playful, fun, little, usually sculptures. I know they do some flat work as well, but lots of Mm -hmm. sculptures and the small ones they'll put in a field and it's almost like they're little characters like playing outside. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Okay, I'm definitely going to have to check them out. Yeah, they have some really incredible work there. That's an artist duo that I've taught as a lesson on like, than we do collaborative work. So, oh, I love that. Yeah. That's so awesome. It really, I think we live in such an amazing time with social media as a tool to showcase work because yeah. I feel like every day I am, you know, seeing new artists that I had never seen or discovered on Instagram. And it's so amazing, even though we can't look at work in person right now, being able to see so much through social media it yeah. is so inspiring. Yeah, it's amazing. It is. Has building up an Instagram following been part of the business side of art for you? And how have you done that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing, you know, when I started my blog back in February, where I just was interviewing artists and publishing those Mm -hmm. interviews, I titled it the InstaArt Project after the hashtag InstaArt. And it actually was sort of an exploration into how one question that I I would always change my questions for every interview to kind of cater to the artist. But one question that I would Mm -hmm. always ask was how has Instagram or social media impacted your work? And it is amazing Mm -hmm. to see how many people would come forward and say, you know, all of my sales are through Instagram or, you know, I've connected with so many new artists through Instagram. So I think that social media is a really powerful tool. And, you know, one thing I think that in my own Instagram account, but also for a visionary art collective, the best thing about it is just being able to connect with so many different artists and visionary art collective. The following is definitely growing rapidly more so than I had even expected when I launched. So exciting. It is. I mean, it's crazy. I did not think I would, you know, this many people would be interested or, you know, excited about the journey, but it's been really incredible to start to build a following. And, you know, one thing I really try to do is take a few times each week to really look at my followers and, you know, reach out to them, message them, connect with them. Mm-hmm. And it really, I think just, I don't know, it creates a, an amazing connection. And I, yeah, I'm still building my following on both, but I think it is in our in what we're living today or the time that we're living in today, having a strong social media presence is really kind of important for a business because I think that's how so many people are learning about new businesses. And especially with art, that's how we're seeing art. So yeah, hopefully that answers your question. I'm still very much building yeah. a following for both, but it, it makes a difference for sure. It's kind of how I've been able to, especially for our most recent call for arts, how I've been able to kind of get the word out is through my, my yeah. Instagram page. So yeah. Yeah. It's such an incredible resource out there. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, when I started on Instagram a while back, I kind of had this like a little bit of a love-hate relationship where there's a lot of, I think, comparison that can happen, at least in my brain. And I would have days where I would feel like this is an amazing tool and resource. And then I would have days where I thought I'm going to delete my Instagram. And mm. I think when I came to the realization that it's just a tool, yeah. and especially as a business owner, it's a tool that can really empower you and mm-hmm. you know help build your business. When you start to kind of change the way that you're looking at it, my perception of it started to change. And now I really just see it as a, as a powerful tool. And it, like you said, as a resource. 
course. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Are there any other sort of tools or resources that you would point to or say that have been helpful to you? Sure. You know, as of right now, I've mostly just been, there's a lot of, in terms of resources, there's a lot of different websites that I go to regularly for contemporary art um, and also mm-hmm. for teaching. I have a few of those. Uh, The Art of Education uh, University Mm -hmm. has actually been great. That's where I did my virtual contemporary art in the classroom integration course. But I'm also, I'm constantly looking at, MoMA has a great page for learning, Artsy, Art 21. I'm constantly looking Mm -hmm. at resources that kind of highlight contemporary artists or resources for educators. But in terms of like tools for building my own business, I've mostly just stuck to Instagram for now. I am looking into other platforms as well. Like I might get adventurous and do a Twitter. I'm not sure. (laughs) We'll see where it goes. And I made a face. Facebook page as well for Visionary Art Collective, but mostly just Instagram for now. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I set all that stuff up, but I'm not really using it. Exactly. It's one thing to create and then it's kind of like, you know, it's easy to forget about. Yeah. Yeah. And the time it can be, all those things can oh be such gosh. a big time suck too. Oh, yes. Like, do I spend my time planning out Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all the social media or do I spend my time actually like <laughs> making art or having oh. an interview that's really inspiring like this. It's so hard. It really does come down to time. I mean, I have days where I feel a little bit overwhelmed, but then I have days where I feel like I'm really on top of time management and I'm still, you know, very much working to figure out the right balance. Mm-hmm. Since I launched Visionary Art Collective, that really has been my main focus, but mm-hmm. I really have to balance that out and I'm working on getting better with balancing that out with my studio practice, but I totally agree. Like when you have multiple platforms for social media, it can get a little bit daunting. And so I'm really just focusing on social media, but I might start to, I mean, on Instagram, but I'm starting to add in others slowly. We'll see. Yeah. Take it step by step. I think that's good advice. Yes, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I have just a fun, like get to know you question that I ask everybody. Sure. What is your favorite food? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, um, Well, you know, the first thing that pops into my head is cheesecake. (laughs) Oh. So maybe that's it. I don't know. I love cheesecake. It's probably like one of my favorite things. But I love, I'm pescatarian. I love a good veggie burger. That's probably like my biggest comfort food. Yum. (laughs) Yeah, we, my husband loves cheesecake, but is lactose intolerant. (laughs) It's like the rare times he's like, I'm going to do it. (laughs) Uh, I mean, maybe because I'm from New York, New York cheesecake. I don't know but it is like the, I think like one of the best things. Yeah. Yeah. And the good veggie burgers. Uh, Which brand are you like? Do you have a favorite? I find so many. I mean, I love, I love Dr. Prager's. Yeah. That's probably my go-to. I mean, they've been around for so long and that's kind of what I grew up on, but they're good. They're really good. I mean, I I really love Beyond Meat and the Impossible Burger, but it sometimes the Beyond Meat, it's a lot. Like it's very, I don't know, it's a big patty and it's sometimes can feel a little bit intense. So I like to go with, you know, a Dr. Prager's. Also Costco has a great brand. I'm blanking on the name but they have like it's sunflower seeds and Ooh. it's really tasty so that's yeah I mean if I'm hungry that's like the best thing I think it's filling it's somewhat healthy depending on the bun but <laughs> yeah uh, nice. so good yes and then is there anything else that you would want to share anything that I should have asked but I didn't sure. I mean I think we covered so much I you know, definitely stay tuned if you are following Visionary Art Collective, because we are going to be posting more resources and, you know, in the coming months and the Art Educators Lounge may have already launched by the time this came out. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah, yeah. just stay tuned. I'm definitely wanting to just expand and grow. And so yeah, but I think we covered it. Thank you so much. I so I so appreciate you having me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here and giving us your time and all of your experience. It was really really great to hear about your sort of story and your process too that's so interesting thank you I I so appreciate you taking the time as well and I hope to you know I'm sure we will connect again and you know as teaching artists we gotta band together so (laughs) yes (laughs) 
And then is there anybody that you would want to give a shout out to or thank? Yes, Katerina Popova. She is an Mm -hmm. artist. She's also my mentor, friend. She's so many things to me, but she has had, she's definitely had a part in just boosting my confidence. And, you know, as I started Visionary Art Collective, um, she's the founder of Create Magazine. And yeah, yeah, she is just incredible. So definitely want to give a big shout out to her. She is amazing. Yes. Yeah, I've been listening to her podcast as well. And kind of following along with her story. She's incredible. Yeah, she's definitely, she's an inspiration to so many women. And she's given me so much support throughout this process. So very grateful for her. It's amazing. Thanks, Kat. (laughs) Thanks, Kat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then kind of final thing, where can our listeners connect with you online? So you can go to Visionary Art Collective is the name of our Instagram. My personal Instagram for my uh, beeswax paintings is Victoria J. Fry. And then visionaryartcollective.com is where you will find our interviews. Also, every week we feature a new artist or art educator of the week that we kind of highlight that week and showcase their work. And that's also where all of our calls for art for our online exhibits are as well. So yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. And I saw that artists can also submit to potentially be one of those featured artists or to do an interview. Yes. Yes. We're so always looking. That's another thing to look Absolutely. For. And thank yeah. you for noticing that. We're always looking for new artists and art educators to feature on our page. So yeah, feel free to check it out if you are interested. Awesome. Thank you so much, Victoria. Oh, thank you so much, Rebecca. This was so great. I'm so grateful. Thank you. I loved hearing about Victoria's intuitive and experimental process of art making using wax and oil paint. That sense of when something is finished that's so hard to articulate, but you just know. Do you feel that? Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.